0: Come on, guys, give it up. 100 years of ministry. Wow. Praise God. i got to be honest with you, that's worth the price of admission just to see Pastor Farrell with hair and a necktie. That was just, (laughs) and Pastor Andy, skinny as a rail, can you believe that? It's so good to see some of those images. We're going to post that video, obviously, on Facebook, the website. You want to see that over and over again and share it with other people. But but here's the bottom line, guys. We're standing on the shoulders of, a, of some folks that have made some amazing sacrifices in service over the years. Let's give it up for them one more time. Come on. And let's just be honest. There's no way that 100 years ago that those uh, early pioneers could have had any clue what was going to happen. There's no way they could have seen what God was going to do in this place. But hear me, they stepped out by faith. I have to believe that they believed God was, uh, was on the move and that something miraculous was about to happen. And I believe that while they didn't have a clue what was going to happen in 100 years, I believe they had a glimpse that what was going to happen, in fact, was going to last forever. That was an eternal impact, the things that were going on. It struck me. There's so many details in this video that struck me. But one of them was the first piece of land that that the church bought a half acre for 50 bucks. I mean, come on. If we said, hey, we need some more land, we need 50 bucks, any one of you would step up and say, yeah, I got you covered. Here you go. But back then, that was a sacrifice. It was that was leaning in hard to put their quarters together to make sure they could make that kind of money, and there were just wonderful sacrifices that were made because of their commitment. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start the second hundred years of the life of this church by doing what I believe they did, which is investing in forever. We're just going to lean into this idea for a few weeks, and we're going to talk about what is that look like, what might that look like, and we're going to take this kind of long view of ministry. And when I say long view, I'm not talking about three to five years. We've got a strategic plan we call Multiply and Mature. It's posted in the lobbies. You can go see it and find out what we're going to be doing. We believe God wants to do in the next three to five years. And I'm not talking about 100 years. I'm talking about a long view in terms of what God is going to do in preparing for eternity that we're all called to live in Eventually. And the bottom line is, let's get into it, the Apostle Paul said that's the way we're supposed to live all the time, not just on 100th anniversaries, but all the time. So let's get into the Word. I don't have a lot of time this morning. We want to celebrate the anniversary, but I do have a, thought, a few thoughts I want to share with you as we get started. So let's get into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 is on the screens. Let's read it together. I want you to imagine Paul uh, saying these words, but I want you to imagine you saying them with him as we all say it together. Here we go. 1, 2, 3. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you get what Paul is saying? First of all, I want you to understand that word fix, is, it carries with it the idea of discipline. It carries with it the idea of intentionality, that we're going to set our gaze. There's plenty of things that would catch our attention. There's plenty of things that would pull us to look in other ways, but we're fixing our eyes on something in particular. And what is it that we're fixing our eyes on? You didn't think I was going to do all the talking today, did you? What are we fixing it on? We're fixing it on eternity, not temporary. We're th- fixing on what's permanent what's not, not what's temporary. Is that easy to do? I mean, is that easy? Let's be honest, guys. We've just come through Hurricane Florence, and we're still working on some of the stuff, and we celebrate the things that our church and so many churches are doing, working together to make a difference in our community. But how many hurricanes have there been in the last 100 years in this region? We don't even know. So we're looking beyond the temporary to the permanent. Which is more permanent, this speaker stand or God? Say God quick. (laughs) God is, obviously, but it's far easier to see this than it is to see him, especially in the midst of the storm. Am I right? So which is more permanent, the house you live in or the house that he's preparing for you in heaven? Our heavenly mansion is the one that's permanent. That's the one that we need to be focused on. But it is so much easier to focus on the one that we have. I mean, Kim and I are in the middle of building a house right now, and we made sure all the bracing was in place and the team scrambled to get it dried in before the storm because we care about this stuff. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care about it, but we've got to look past those things. We've got to look past those points, not just 100 years down the road, but down to eternity. The Apostle Paul made this very clear. In fact, he pressed the point by bringing his own life into the mix. So let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Maybe you brought a Bible. You can follow along. You can follow on the Bridge uh, NC app, and uh, and all of the notes are there. You can go to the app, uh, or you can email me later, info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you these notes. But let's look at the Scriptures today. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul kind of unpacks this idea in personal, practical kinds of terms. Here we go. Verse 7 and 8. I like the way the message paraphrases it. The very credentials these people are waving around us as something special, I'm tearing it up and throwing it out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. Now, how many of you left the house this morning expecting to say dog dung before you left church this morning? Come on, just. God bless that hand. I see that hand. Come on. <laughs> but that's what, I mean, you get the point. I, you know what dung is. I don't have to tell you what dung is in church, right? You got that? It's like this. It's, okay. We got it. All right. This, this stuff, it's just worthless stuff. It's dog dung to me. He, he said, I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Paul's saying, sure, I'm educated. In fact, he went to the best school of the day. He went to the school of Gamaliel, and and so he was educated. He said, yes, I got credentials and a pedigree. I'm a citizen of Rome and and all the benefits that accrue to that citizenship, but that stuff is nothing. When you understand that it's all going to burn up one day, it's nothing compared with loving Jesus and being loved by Him, you see, Paul understood, uh, this is huge, guys, get this, Paul understood that one day we're going to stand before God and all the events and all of the decisions and all the choices that we've made throughout this part of our life, this this earthly part of our life, every one of them is going to produce either regret or reward. Did you get that? Every one of them is going to produce either regret or reward. And the Apostle Paul said, I'm done regretting stuff. I'm done focusing on the things that ultimately will bring regret. Please understand, when you start looking at life through that lens, you begin to spend money that God's blessed you with in a different kind of way. You begin to invest your time in things that eternally matter when you begin to look at life that way. You've got a few bucks in your pocket. You, you stop and say, let's see, do I spend that money on some stuff that would be fun? Or do I help somebody that's less privileged than I am right now? I mean, you start asking those kinds of, of questions. You know, when you, it comes to time, am I going to commit my time to serving? Or am I going to watch one more movie? To, at the end of it, I'm going to say, man, I just wasted two hours of my life on that. I mean, come on. We, we start to think differently about how we invest our money, how we invest our time. And I could go on down the line, how we invest our relationships, what kind of relationships we have or don't have, what kind of church we're a part of, or or, or how deeply we get involved in the churches that we do attend. We start looking at life in a different kind of way because now we're viewing it differently than we used to ask. We're asking ourselves the question, is this worth investing my one and only life So now think about all those decisions that you've made through your life and, and, and look at it through the lens of this desire that one day I'm going to stand before God and I want to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Am I right? That's what I want to hear. I just want him to say, that's my girl. That's my boy. You you did it. Great job. Wait, come on. I got some cool stuff lined up for you. We'll look at that next week. But for now, just understand, that's what we long for. That's what we look for. And so the question is, when you take all of those decisions and all of those choices that we made over life and come down to that day, are we going to regret the car we drove? Are we going to regret the house that we lived in? Somebody said to me this morning, he said, we saw your new house. We thought it would be a lot bigger than." I said, dude, you understand, when you get to be my age, you build smaller, not bigger. And you get closer to hospitals, not further away. That's what you do. That's, that's just kind of how you do things, you know. But the bottom line is when you look at life through this lens of forever, it changes what you value here. I mean, standing on that day, looking back and saying, I can't believe that I spent 7,000 hours watching television for stuff that I can't even remember what I saw now. It just changes. Is this making sense? It just changes everything. Francis Chan, the author of Crazy Love and Forgotten God and some really cool books, uh, illustrates this better than anybody I know. So I thought I'd share this with you in case you haven't seen it. Some of you have. But, but just imagine with me that this rope, is a timeline of your life. And, and, and all as it runs off into eternity, I mean, this rope doesn't go on forever. It's tied right backstage. But anyway, just imagine with me that this goes on forever and this is, this is really your life, okay? This part is your life on earth. This is what we have now. So when you start looking at life the way Paul's saying and you start viewing things, knowing that this moment in time is a critical pivot point in your life, that that's the moment that you're going to stand before God. That's the moment at which you don't get a second chance to do it differently. That's the moment. And you start thinking about just how important then is this little minute point or that tiny event? Or that graduation or that house that I'm building or that car that I really, really want to buy or that trip that I really, really want to go to or that thing that I'm saving toward. How important are those things? I'm not saying they're not important, but we start asking ourselves just how important are they for real? How valuable are they really in light of the fact that the decisions that I make here determine how I'm going to live for millions of years and millions and millions and millions with no end? We start looking at life differently. We start looking at time and finances and relationships and, and, and how we invest our one and only lives. I mean, why, if we understood that would I spend so much time trying to make myself more comfortable, determined to enjoy myself a little bit more in light of one day I'm going to look back and regret what I gave my one and only life to, Paul says, I've been there, done that, and I ain't living that way no more. I am done with that. I've had the credentials. I've had the accolades. I, I, I've had lots, and I've had little, and I'm here to tell you that, that it's, it, it's dung. It's just Dung, that's all it is at the end of the day. I ain't living that way no more. I'm investing my life for the finish line. I am a runner in a race, and I can see the finish line. And that finish line is that moment when I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'm living for now. Guys, when you get to that moment and you really get that, I mean, you really let that sink in, it starts to affect you in profound kinds of ways. I hope that it does. I hope that it will. Paul says, I'm not going to be fooled by the world anymore. Is that what he's saying? Is that stuff that they think is so important, they think is the the measure of success? I'm not going to be fooled by that anymore. When somebody says to me, you know, you're being stupid. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money by doing all these kinds of things. You're being dumb. I'm going to look at him and say, no, you're being dumb. I'm not being dumb because I've got this in view. You're the ones being dumb because you're investing all your time and money in something that doesn't eternally matter. Paul, come on, tell me what you really think. But that's what he's saying, right? No, you think you're smart. I'm smart. You're dumb. That's what he says. He presses the point in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally so that I could experience his resurrection power, so I could be a partner in his suffering, so that I could go all the way with him to death itself. You see what he's saying? I want to know him so intimately that I know how he feels. I feel his pain. That Ultimately, I get the privilege of giving my life for him, and ultimately it's Paul who said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not staying here for me. I, I can't, I've already seen the finish line and I'm headed for it. I'm staying here for you. I, I'd be gone if it weren't for the fact that there's still value that I can bring to you because I understand how important things really are. Can I tell you now, I guarantee you that we would not be here enjoying what we enjoy if there weren't a group of fathers and mothers and children 100 years ago who got this. And we're willing to sacrifice everything in order to make this happen, to sit under a little brush arbor right out here on the edge of the road with oil lamps and worship the Lord God and bring other people to know Jesus and make the sacrifices that were necessary. We sit we wouldn't be here. We're standing on their shoulders. Thousands of people would not have met Jesus through the ministries of Whitley Church and the bridge. So it wouldn't happen. Marriages would not have been restored that have been. Addicts would not have been set free from the things that held them in bondage that have stayed in that bondage as far as we're concerned because we wouldn't have been here to help them. Dreams would never have been restored but because a group of ordinary people from every walk of life came together and got this and they started thinking eternally, not temporally, but eternally. God has been able to do more than they dared to dream or think or ask over the last hundred years. And that's why we're starting our second hundred years by investing in forever. We're starting it by looking forward to the years that we have. And let me just say quickly, lest there be any confusion about this, I don't think we got a hundred years left. I'm not sure we got a hundred minutes. I don't know about what Jesus wouldn't break that eastern sky open right now before I finish this message today, and, uh, and it'd be okay if he did, right? I, I'm not sure how much time we got, but whether we got 100 days or 100 uh, months or 100 years or 1,000 years, whatever time we got left, here's what I want. Here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for me. I want to be able to say what Jesus did to the Father. In John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Father, I did what you put me on the planet to do, and that brought you glory. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us as a church family. That's what I long for with everything in me. I want it said of the bridge and all who we, we who make it up, uh, like Luke did about King David. In Acts 13, 36, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, what happened? He died. What a way to go. <laughs> I did everything he put me on the planet to do, I'm gone. I got to the finish line, having accomplished everything he put me here to do, and I got to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, let's be honest, David was anything but perfect. Read his story, and you'll find it was a lot of junk in David's life but he stayed focused on the finish line, and the result is he ultimately died having fulfilled God's purpose for his lifetime. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for you. Hear me, guys. None of the great heroes of the faith approached forever in just philosophical terms, though. It wasn't just this idea that we're going to live forever. It wasn't just this kind of, Yeah, that's what's going to happen. We're going to live forever. But it was real practical. It was measurable. And they lived their lives in that kind of a way. So I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to come back to worship. We're going to come back and bring the praise team back. And we're going to close this service in worship and, and in prayer. But here's what I want you to hear me say as we kick off the second hundred years in the life of our church. Let's do what our forefathers did. If the Lord does, tarry His coming for 100 years, let's do what we can so that 100 years from now there's a group of people meeting in a building somewhere or meeting online across the planet, wherever they meet. And they say, you know, there were some people 100 years ago who made a decision they were going to invest their one and only life in something that eternally mattered. And so I'm going to ask you to do that in real practical terms. There are lots of ways I could ask you to do that. We reflected on this. I could ask you to serve more. I could ask you to, to give your time. Uh, certainly joining a bridge group is a huge piece of that. This is the last Sunday for registering for the fall semester of our bridge groups. If you haven't registered yet, get to the website, go to the app, get registered, get into group, and, and invest in those relationships. There's lots of ways. But I'm going to get real kind of acid test on this one. In fact, if you've been here very long, uh, you know that once a year we do this around here. We call it Offering Fit for a King. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I I don't know why God chose money as the acid test of our faith, but he did. It's the the only topic in all of Scripture where God said, do this with your finances and test me, prove me, see if I'm telling you the truth. It's the only topic that he said that on. And so we're going to do that. We're going to give you an opportunity to test your own faith and to make practical this idea that I'm not living for temporary, I'm living for forever. We're going to give you a chance to do that. On October 7th, we're going to receive what we call the Offering Fit for a King, and we're going to ask you to do one of two things. First of all, if you're not tithing right now, then I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider tithing on that day. Just if it's a one-time demonstration to yourself of what God can do to honor his commitment, we'll talk more in detail next week about it, but I'm going to ask you to tithe on that day. If you're already tithing, then I'm going to ask you to prayerfully ask God, what does he want you to give sacrificially to that offering as we launch this second hundred years of the life of the church? And can I just tell you personally that I love offering fit for a king? I, I do, and here's the reason why. I mean, I've been in ministry 49 of your business years, and I've never done that until it came to the bridge. But I love offering fit for a king because here's why. Kim and I have been tithers for 45 years. I mean, it's just, it's built into our life. We, we automate the process. And so I don't even think about it. I get an email that says, thank you for your gift. I go, oh, must be tithe time. I mean, it's just kind of automatic. And so there's no opportunity for us to stop it. It really isn't a faith thing anymore. It's just simply an obedience thing. We just do it. God's blessed us. I'll tell you more stories about that. But, but this puts us in a position to say, okay, you go pray, see what God says to you, I'm going to go pray see what God says to me and we're going to we're going to come together in agreement to say what kind of step of faith can we take sacrificially to do something meaningful for the kingdom of God that demonstrates that we get this I'm going to tell you a story from our lives next Sunday of how God has has shown himself faithful in those moments. But that's the position that it puts us in. It's the position that that it puts you in. In fact, as you leave today, there's an envelope. There's a letter in there with some basic instructions that I've written for you. I'm going to ask you to grab one as you leave. The ushers will be at the door. Go home and pray. Go home and consider and just do whatever it is that God tells you to do in that offering. Again, if you haven't been tithing for whatever reason, let's do a demonstration that day. Let's make sure we all tithe. And if you have, here's the opportunity for you to stretch, to say, okay, God, by faith, what do you want me to do financially to demonstrate that I, in fact, am committed to this living by eternal standards focused on the future, okay? You got it? You're going to pray with me? You're going to consider this? October 7th is going to be a great day. In the few minutes that I've got left, I want to get practical, though. Those of you that know me know that my pet peeve is for a preacher to tell me what I ought to be doing and then not tell me how to do it. I mean, it's the YBH, yes, but how? I got you, but what do I do? And so that's really what we're going to be talking about in this series is how do I go about doing that? How do I move to the next level of where I am as I make this demonstration of forever living? Uh, But for now, I want to give you two simple keys that are critical if you're serious about this forever thinking, okay? Two things that are going to be important to you just very quickly, and then the praise team will come back. Two things I want you to reflect on, okay? Number one. If you really want to think forever, you've got to decide what is, in fact, eternally important. What is eternally important in your life? What is it that God's telling you? I want to make sure you get this right. You've got to think through. Experts call it core values. Lots of things we value, but there are some core values. The second part of that is just as critical, though, and that is I'm going to commit to do the things that reflect That value, once I've decided what are my core values, short list, then I'm going to start doing the things that help me move forward. Now, that sounds simple, right? Piece of cake, right? But it's harder than you think because here's the reality. We all have life's values and we have our lifestyles and they don't always line up. I see a few heads, but I didn't get any amens from that. Come on. They don't always line up. I call it the frustration gap between what I say is important and how I really live my life. So if I were to ask you right now, what's the most important thing in your life? I dare say many of you would say, well, my family, of course. That's great. If I ask your family if your lifestyle supports that, what would they say? If, if you were to say, well, my church family is one of the most important things in my life, that's okay, that's great, but would your service? reflect that? Would your giving reflect that? Would your involvement would the relationships that you're building reflect that? I'm not trying to be judgy here. I'm not trying to put any guilt trips on anybody, but I am trying to get real practical here to say, guys, the only way that we can actually honestly invest in forever and take this mentality that Paul's challenging us to do is if we get real about it and say, what's eternally important? And am I living that way? Because ultimately, we're going to stand before God, and I think I mentioned this, it's going to be filled with either regret or reward, and I dare say for all of us, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Let's be honest, we've all bought stuff, and with a day, we went, boy, that was a waste of money, right? Those are the realities of our lives, guys. I want to help you to challenge that. I want you to help to consider that. I want you to process through that. I find myself doing this on a regular basis. I've done it many times over the years, and I reflect on that from time to time, particularly how am I living in light of, of what I've said is important. Uh, but maybe I thought maybe it would help you if I tell you a little bit of my journey way back. Way back when I was in Bible college days when Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie and I were at Heritage Bible College together and we were all kind of going through that journey. If you wonder why Pastor Farrell and I, our styles and our, our visions and ministry are so similar to those of you that are long-term members, it's because we did this process together 45 years ago. And so we've, and we've been friends all these years. And so uh, there's this journey that, that I went through and Farrell went through. I went to role models in Scripture to try to figure out what were going to be my core values. And let me just mention a couple of them, okay? Just, you work out your own, but I want you to consider this. I found Samuel to be a big one. In fact, there was a passage from Samuel's life that was huge for me. It's 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. I want to read it to you. Uh, Just imagine, Samuel is standing in front of a group of people, uh, some of whom like him and some of whom don't. And here he's saying, here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these, I will make it right. What's he saying? He's saying, I've committed to be a man of integrity. Now, people of integrity mess up. Can I get an amen? But they own up. People integrity mess up, but they just face it. They fess up. They say, oh, man, I blew that one, didn't I? And they fix it. And so Samuel's saying, show me what I've done that's wrong, and I'll, and I'll fix it. I'll, I don't know of anything. My heart is pure, but if you show me something, show me the evidence. You know, just Can I tell you how freeing it is to live with no skeletons in your closet that might get exposed one day? People come to me and say, Pastor, how about this? How about that? Ah, you know, come on, let's air it out. Let's talk about it. I got, no, I got nothing to hide. Let's just talk. And if I blew it, then I'll accept that and I'll deal with it. And if I didn't blow it, then you'll have to accept that you accepted something that wasn't true. I mean, let's just process through it, Okay. Because I'm committed to one day, I want God to say, you lived a life of integrity. That's who I want to be. And I've tried hard. And yes, as a leader, there have been times when people didn't like the decisions I made because I was committed to this life of integrity. But I didn't do it for them. I did it because I had this view of life. Is this making sense, guys? Is this registering for you? Uh, uh, Solomon is another great example of this. Uh, Solomon, as a young man, had an intimate relationship with God, uh, so much so that God finally came to him one day and said, ask for anything you want and i will give it to you. And Solomon said, well, you could have asked for riches, could have asked for fame. Uh, he said, well, you know, I'm going to be king soon. I really need the wisdom to do that well. And said, God said, okay, you got it. Give you wisdom. Ultimately gave him riches and fame too, but he asked for wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom, Solomon wrote, is the most important thing, so get wisdom. If it costs everything you have, get understanding. So again, if that's your core value, then what are you going to do? How are you going to live in order for that to be real in your life? Well, one thing for sure is you're going to listen more than you talk. If you want wisdom, you've got to shut up and hear what the people around you are saying. Another thing is you're never going to assume that anybody you're dealing with doesn't have anything to teach you. Because everybody you encounter may, in fact, have an insight for you that you've never had before. Regardless of how old they are, you're going to listen to them and see if there's truth. And then you're going to sort out where's the truth in this based on the Word of God. Is this registering, guys? If you really want to think eternally, you're going to make some kind of decisions based on those core kinds of values. And then it's going to affect how you handle your finances and how you handle your relationships and how you handle your spiritual life and your own own health. You're going to determine what your values are, and then you're going to start living according to those things. You can look to modern examples. Mother Teresa is a classic example. What, What did Mother Teresa stand for? Anybody remember? Compassion. I mean, if anybody, she, she approached life through this lens of, if I see a need, God must want me to do something about it. Well, for some of you, that needs to be one of your core values to say, I'm going to be a compassionate person and I'm going to touch the needs of people around me. Some of you in this place, that's exactly who you are, and your life is defined by that. How about Billy Graham? What did Billy Graham stand for? Talk about a life well lived. <laughs> what, what did he stand for? He stood for, come as you are. They're coming from all over the stadium. Come as you are. Jesus will receive you. He stood for evangelism, for people finding Jesus. And at the end of this amazing life, more than a billion people made a decision to follow Christ under his ministry. Why? Because he got his values down early on, and then he lived his life according to those values. And no matter what anybody said, the culture or his critics, he said, this is who God's called me to be, and this is what I'm going to do. I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary for my doctorate because I found out Billy Graham signed the certificates, and I wanted his signature on my diploma. I got it. I prayed. This is horrible, but I prayed that he would live long enough to sign my diploma. <laughs> got my mind off the eternal and onto the temporal for a few minutes, but you get the point. <laughs> Why? Because it's a life well lived, and he became a role model for me as I put my own core values and lifestyle together. Now, you've, you've been here long. You've heard me say you begin to resemble who you rehearse. There are some role models out there not worth rehearsing. Anybody remember what Bob Barker stood for? You know, the Price is Right guy? You remember what he stood for? End of, end of every show, be sure to spay and neuter your pets. Is that a bad thing? No, that's, that's, that's a fine thing. That's a, that's a good thing. But I don't think I want that to be the legacy of my whole life. Here's the great tragedy. There are, the world is filled with people that give first-class allegiance to second-class causes because they've never stopped to say what eternally matters and what decisions do I need to make here so that I am in fact showing that eternal value day by day by day. Here's what I'm trying to say. Quote of the day, and I'll wrap this up. Everybody ends up somewhere. Very few people end up there on purpose. And I'm begging you, let's get there on purpose. As a church family, let's rally as the beginning of our second hundred years, and let's demonstrate that that's where our hearts are. The praise team's coming back. We're going to sing. We're going to end this thing in in song and in prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand as they come. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of seeing life through your eyes, understanding that you have eternity in mind. In fact, Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, before our ancestors were even created in the Garden of Eden. Jesus had given up his life for us, knowing that one day we would sin, one day we would fail, one day there would be a great gap between us because of the sin of our own lives. And he determined well in advance that the most important thing in the universe is us. So he gave up the glories of heaven, took on the form of a man, a man who served who served all the way to death on the worst possible kind of death, death on the cross. We're here today enjoying the things that we enjoy and being blessed in the ways that we are blessed because of the cross. And so as we look forward long-term, down the road, three, five years, 100 years into eternity, we say the center of it all is hallelujah for the cross.